the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We say we love Jesus, but within the same breath, we can also say we love cheeseburgers. So what are you loving? The right kind of love and the right kind of things. Let's talk about that. Ask a child if they love Jesus, and they'll tell you, of course. Ask them if they love Bambi. Well, they'll give you the same answer. So, really, what kind of love are we talking about? And are we loving the right things? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6, give us a guideline, if you will, as to what we are to love and why. Welcome. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard has us in Hebrews 13 as we come to the end of our series in Hebrews. Won't you join us? Loving the Right Things is the title of today's message. Here's Pastor Phil with today's broadcast. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's coming to the close of this exhortation letter, 13 chapters in our Bible. And so he's ending with these short, quick exhortations at the end for what has he been doing for 12 chapters? Showing you Jesus is the best. He's the best way God ever revealed himself. He spoke in latter days, in the prophets in the past, these last days, he speaks to us in the Son. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. He's better than the Old Testament priesthood. He is the best God has to offer. And he's been laying that argument for 12 chapters. Jesus is the best. Jesus is the best. Now he's talking to us and telling us who have fled to Christ for refuge how to live in a fallen world. And how he expects us to respond. Nothing he's going to say in the way of exhortation could the culture of the day practice. No one today will practice any of this. Only people 
who have accepted Jesus as the best. He becomes the modus operandi for our new life. He's the Savior. He's the power. So the exhortations, you must know this. Some people are afraid of exhortations, which basically says, get with it. Do it. They'll say, well, that's legalism. That's moralism. Every religious group has a set of morals. And uh, you ought to do this, whether it's Judaism, whether it's uh, Eastern religion. Everybody's got a set of moralisms. Is Christianity a set of moralisms? Not really. Because we say there has to be a new power and a new heart put in you before you could do any obedience. If you could obey apart from the Spirit, you could go back under the law. The law could command but could not enable you. Uh, You could command all day, but you can't enable me to. Christianity not only gives a new motive, gives a new heart, it gives new power to obey. You must start with Christ as Savior, not the moralisms, not the exhortations. You can't keep it anyway. But now that you belong to Christ, is he commanding us to do what he will not enable us to do? No, Christianity is a supernatural kind of life. Amen? And you have to have a supernatural source, a new birth, the power of the Spirit, and a Savior called Christ. Don't, don't impose any of these moralisms and any of these truths. Don't preach this to your neighbor, would you? Let the gay pride go on today. Don't waste your breath telling people to be moral. You don't have the power to change them. They're, they live their lives apart from God. And what else did you think man would do when he evicts God from his own universe? When there's no God, there's no morals. When there's no God, there's no ordained boundaries. Who are you to tell me how to live? We are a people who have come under Christ. And so he becomes the new authority and the new direction and the new boundary for the way we live. He's going to tell them three things uh, in this passage they should be focusing their life on. Number one, they ought to be loving people. Love people. And this is the mark of true Christianity. And then he goes beyond that and say, you ought to love purity. And he deals with marriage and sexual immorality. And he says, we are a people that do not worship sex, not afraid of sex. Christians seem to have managed to have families. A lot of times, big families. Christianity is not prudish. We're not afraid to talk about what God was not afraid to create. Don't be afraid to talk about what God wasn't afraid to create. And so, God has made some divine boundaries for the expression of sexuality, but God's not afraid of it. It's just how it's used. And then he says that uh, we are a people who cling to divine promises instead of ourselves. So we ought to be loving people, and he names four kinds of people we ought to be loving. Number one, uh, keep, and in the Greek, continue to love the brethren. 
Keep on doing what you've been doing. Continue to love your brothers. Uh, and th- that is so important. Christianity is no better than the love being expressed. Bertrand Russell uh, wrote a book, Why I Am Not a Christian, and a, an atheist, brilliant atheist out of England, Why I Am Not a Christian. And he said basically this, I can go along with some of the teachings of Christ, although I don't keep them, but I can agree that he was a great teacher. But my biggest problem with Christianity is I know so many people who claim to know him and I've seen the way they live. It's the lives of Christians that tells me Christianity must not be true. Now, that's a a question to ask yourself. Has anyone ever accused you of loving other believers? Is that obvious? The greatest advertisement for Christ is Christians. The greatest advertisement against Christ might be so-called Christians. Do you know anyone naming the name of Christ that live a thousand miles away from what he says? They're not loving. They're this, they're that, whatever. But love is not the mark. Three reasons you ought to be measuring yourself by, am I loving brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I loving them? Number one, Christ said, It's a badge of identity that you're a follower of Christ. Don't tell them all your views. Don't tell them all your doctrine. Show them how to love. Are you loving anybody? And that is a way to measure. Don't start telling them that you are a fundamentalist and we believe the Bible. They could care less. You start off by showing them a way to relate to people and especially those who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever seen some families that are always fighting with each other? I mean, and if they haven't had a fight yet, wait till the parents die and they start fighting over the money. The whole family unity can go apart over a thousand dollars. Have you seen relationships that are no better than a hundred dollar bill? Oh, you better believe it. Everywhere. I can't stand my brother. Can't stand my sister. Oh, I can't wait to meet the rest of your family. No, I've met you. I don't want to meet the rest. He says, by loving your brother, it's a true mark to the non-looking world. He said, the world, unbelievers, don't look at our doctrine or listen to our preachers. They look to us who say we know Christ. How you live. Can they see the love of God being manifested? He said that's what you owe the world. They ought to see love demonstrated in you and I. Two, uh, you need to uh, love because it's going to give you the assurance that you're really saved. Listen to this verse. 1 John 3.14. We know that we've passed out of death into life. Because we are perfect. Because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love abides in death. Can you recall when the love of God was gushed abroad in your heart and something that immediately happened to you is you begin without any course, you immediately fell in love with the people of God. It's the way you know you pass from death to life. I was a 14-year-old punk uh, growing up on Presley and R&B on KDIA. And I went to a church that looked like it was planted in the hills of Oklahoma. Bunch of Arkies and Midwesterners in South Richmond. Uh, gray-haired women, long hair, holiness kind of people. Uh, long dress. You talk about it out of keeping with the culture I was growing up with. They were old-fashioned. They didn't wear makeup. They didn't wear jewelry. And they weren't that attractive by the external appearance. But I know this much. I know this. Nobody told me to do it. Nobody told me to do it. But the night I put faith in Christ at a Tuesday night prayer meeting, there were maybe 50 people at that meeting. I wouldn't let anybody leave that place until I hugged them as a 14-year-old punk with a leather jacket, Dixie Peach in my hair, and trying to be the baddest thing in South Richmond. Why? Sister Bankston, an old missionary woman, probably in her 70s, 75, gray-headed, hair in a bun, taught my Sunday school class many times. I barely, I only stayed awake because my dad had a way of keeping you awake. I immediately fell in love with her in a way I could never express. I immediately fell in love with a generation that grew up back there totally unrelated. It happened immediately. No courses. And I hugged and I wept. Took me an hour after I got up from the altar to hug everybody in that church and tell them thanks for all the years you taught me, all the years you've been praying. I'm so glad we're going to heaven together. I just immediately fell in love with you. What done happened? It's called the new birth. You don't like Christians because you don't know Christ. You don't know Christ. You don't know Christ. Well, I got hurt in that last church. Well, welcome to the human race. You're going to get hurt if you never go to church. Well, they disappointed me. Well, you disappointed us. Let's keep on. Let's keep the thing going and make an excuse. I can't love anymore. When did you ever love? Have you loved as much as Christ? Have you loved a Calvary love? All the excuses. You can't even know if you're really saved if you don't love the brethren. 1 John 3, 14. Third reason you ought to do this. It pleases God when we love. He said in Psalm 133, how blessed is it when brethren dwell together in unity. When we actually get along with these, God says it's blessed. We've been called to continue to love one another, to show the world, to give assurance to ourselves, and to please the Father. Then he says we ought to love strangers. And, and that doesn't mean strange people. Some of you are strange. But I'm commanded to love you. It's strangers. And the idea is aliens, uh, 
this was the thing in the New Testament. Many of the saints were on the road. They were fleeing persecution. Uh, they might have been itinerary missionaries, evangelists. And in those days, to stay at a motel or an inn was a dangerous place. They many times functioned as a brothel plus a rowdy place of corral. They were dangerous. They were, they were bad news. So these believers on the road, where could they stay if they came by? Where were they, they housed? Where were they accommodated? And he's saying, be willing, be willing. And, and there's early church writers who said if a guy wanted to stay three days, he was a false teacher. It was the idea a day or two. They didn't just move in with you. But it was the idea they, they need a place to stay. And he said, we ought to be loving strangers, those that we haven't necessarily known. Can anyone that you don't know well ever get into your circle of influence to be benefited? And he says, love them. Then he makes the analogy, by the way, by the way, some have entertained angels unaware. And most likely goes back to Genesis 18 with Abraham, entertaining the three strangers, one of whom happened to be the Son of God and two angelic beings. He didn't know it. He just said, let's fix them some dinner. You can stay here. And he uses that analogy. You never quite know who you might be entertaining. You might be entertaining the Apostle Paul. You might be entertaining the Apostle Peter. You, you just never know what's in the package. He goes on, you ought to be loving and caring for prisoners. In chapter 10, he said, many of you have gone to prison for your faith. How, do you know anybody that's ever gone to jail because they're a Christian? In your, in your sphere, I don't. I don't think I've ever visited anybody in this country in prison for the faith. But they were in prison constantly. Peter's in jail, Acts 12. Uh, they're in jail, Paul, there in Acts 16. It was common to be in jail for preaching the gospel. And in those days, if you went to prison, uh, the rats were there. Many times an open latrine was there. The sewer ran through the cell like the Mamertine prison in Rome. Uh, nobody fed you. There, there was no color TV. Uh, there was no one. The meals, if the saints did not bring you food, you didn't have anything to eat. You remember Paul saying this? It's very moving. Second Timothy 4. Timothy, get to me before winter. It's cold in this cell. Bring me my garment. Bring me the parchments. Basically, I'm a cold man in this subterranean prison. I need meals. I need reading material. And I need to get warm. And I love the statement he says, come before winter. And there's people in your life that are saying, I'm in the winter of life. When will you come? When will you come? So he says, don't forget those in prison. 
And then he goes on and says, those being mistreated. Chapter 10, once again, you lost your houses. They've kicked you out of your jobs. Uh, You know why so many of us Christians are so sassy and independent? We've never suffered together. There's not a person here that's suffered from the faith. No, we whine a lot, but we haven't suffered. There's nobody here healing up from getting a whipping this week because you preached Christ or stood for him on the job. It creates such an impudence and such an independence, and I don't want to be bothered. He's telling the saints, when a guy's in prison, nobody wants to visit him because he's afraid he may get the same whipping or be identified with this man. Go, go see them. And if someone's mistreated, why don't you act as though all of their beatings were being placed on your back? Mistreated people are never attractive. Be concerned for those suffering as if every blow they receive puts a strike across their own back. Now, we come to loving uh, purity. Listen to what Pliny the Younger, early church historian said about Christians. They bind themselves by an oath not to any criminal end, but to avoid theft or robbery or adultery, never to break their word or repudiate a deposit when called on to refund it. They're honest, they're moral, uh, they keep their word, And here we've got a church planet. Let's take 50 A.D. for the book of Hebrews. Let's take that. Are you aware of what was going on in Rome in 50 A.D.? Are you aware what the culture was like? Well, let me tell you a few things. Um, Caligula will come to power in that era. Caligula eventually marries his sister, Runs around the Senate naked. Has orgies all the time. That so many of the emperors of Rome were uh, oftentimes uh, in alternate lifestyles. Sex parties. Drunkenness. This was the government. Imagine we had a sitting at the uh, House of Representatives. What if it was a love-in? What if our president married uh, his own brother or his own sister? This is what was going on in Rome. Greece, Greece, uh, where the sexual mores of the day were this. Sex is a, uh, just a, a physical appetite to be satisfied whenever, with whoever, without any moral boundaries. It's just a physical impulse. Uh, I read the quote from a pornographic magazine that I did not own, but in my research, uh, it said, uh, this is what one writer said, sex is a function of the body, a drive which man shares with animals, like eating, drinking, and sleeping. It's a physical demand that must be satisfied. 
If you don't satisfy it, you will have all sorts of neurosis and repressive psychosis, which are two psychological terms that you're messed up. Sex is here to stay. Let's forget the prudery that makes us hide from it. Throw away those inhibitions. Find a girl who's like-minded and let yourself go. And so he addresses these believers. Besides loving people, love purity. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Questions, comments about the program, as always, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by giving us a call, 855-833-9864. If you've got a question for Pastor Phil, you can use your smartphone. The Voice Memo app on that smartphone is a great way to reach out to us with your questions, praise reports, and comments. Simply record your question, who you are, where you're calling from, and then email it to us, tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, that's tftquestions at valleybible.org. And again, as always, you'll find more information about Truth For Today at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. Now, Truth For Today is a listener-supported ministry. We have friends and family members who have come alongside to financially support the ministry to ensure that it continues on this radio station. Would you be a part of that family, that friendship? We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us again. You can securely donate at truthfortodayradio.org or by calling 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.